0: All right. Hello, everyone. First sermon from the new house, um, by the way, I would I would like to give a huge thank you to all the people who helped me move. Um, just kind of looking through here. Uh, Hart Kaiser has helped out uh, the Ruthies, uh, Johnson Evers. Um, The uh, Ash Scots were all really helpful. Uh, Reed and August were there helping me too. So um, yeah, thank you. Actually with that, Thanksgiving is approaching and is a bit precarious, perhaps even borderline hopeless for some of us this year. Vaccines are available to the entire US population above six years old. But it looks like we might have a fifth wave upon us. Uh, we're renewing connections with Micah and, and other organizations in Milwaukee. Um, but many of us are like and likely disappointed by the outcome of the Kenosha trial. And I think all of us are worried about what it means for our communities going forward. Um, We worry about increased political violence and injustice, and we worry that there might not be much we can do about it. It may feel difficult or at least awkward this year to be thankful, but I think that gratitude may be particularly important this year. But first, I'd like to back up to, to how, my, how, how I and probably most of us first learned about gratitude growing up. When, when we we're first learning about gratitude, it's kind of presented, you know, we learned that some story about a destitute family that slept on dirt and ate gruel and porridge and had to walk barefoot in the snow uphill both ways. But they were grateful for each other and what little they had, so they were happy. And this is probably meant, at least you know, consciously, uh, to teach kids that gratitude need not depend on being well off. Uh, unfortunately, I've found that this tends to frame gratitude as an ethic for the underclass, so to speak. It It frames gratitude as something that's really useful to poor people because they can use that to experience joy despite their circumstances. And for the rest of us, I mean, it's good to be grateful, but it's not really the most relevant thing to us. Um, And at worst, gratitude as an ethic, is kind of similar to many others in how it kind of has this dark side to it that can be used to manipulate people. You know, love can be manipulated into, you know, someone enabling an abusive partner. Peace can be manipulated into passivity uh, and forgiveness can be manipulated into kind of asking for a lack of boundaries or a lack of safety measures after someone's been harmed. And kind of similar to that, gratitude can be weaponized against vulnerable people to tell them to be content with injustice. You know, oh, you're, don't complain about being underpaid. Just, you need to be grateful that you even have a job at all. Uh, You know, don't, don't, don't be upset that you're being treated unfairly. Just, just be, a, be grateful that you can be in the room at all. And while gratitude is certainly beneficial for those going through tough times, I think that we should more be conceptualizing gratitude, if not something for everyone, but, but definitely an ethic for those among us who are doing quite well at the moment. And to start down this intellectual path, um, I'd like to actually reference something that I heard as a kid listening to focus on the family every morning while I ate breakfast. I do not quote that radio program very often, but there is something that has stuck with me over time. They had on a guest who was talking about like godly financial management. And one thing he said was, and I don't remember who it was. Said, "Things will never slow down, and more will never be enough. Particularly if you don't have, a, you know, a conscious attitude of being grateful and of being godly with what, what you've been blessed with. Things will never slow down, and more will never be enough." Um. So in academia, with, with that things that will never slow down, in academia, we like to say that tomorrow is this mythical time when everything gets done. Um, I think in a lot of our households, when things slow down is kind of the mythical time in space and dimension in which everything that we eventually want to do happens. You know, we'll, we'll finally take that vacation with our family when things slow down we'll finally have that family get together when things slow down and then with more will never be enough i i remember i had an english teacher growing up who said one of her relatives actually won the lottery they didn't win a lot but like they were able to pay off the house and stuff like that um she said yeah i i she thought to herself you know i wouldn't I wouldn't want to win like, you know, um, you know, a few million dollars. If I won the lot lottery, I'd I just want enough to pay off the house. And she thought, well I'd want enough to pay off the house and the car. And then she thought, I'd want enough to pay off the house and the car and have a college fund for my kids. And this, she's just reckless. This train of thought just kind of kept going and going and, and going. Um, so I know it probably seems like I'm going in a lot of different directions, but I promise I will tie it all together. So, so just kind of hold on to that thought. And I'm gonna bring up actually a, a video that was just recently released by um, the New York Times. It was an opinion piece by, um, should have written this down. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll share it with, with you all. Uh, anyway, it was titled, Liberal Hypocrisy is Fueling American Inequality. Here's how. So in this, in this video, the, the author is describing how many of the states in which their um Democrats control uh, the legislature and the the governor seat, or they have a veto-proof legislature. They end up getting some policies in place that do not at all re- resemble their platforms. I, I, I'm not I'm not trying to like show too much of a bias here. But anyway, um, to to get more into this. Uh, For example, in Palo Alto, California, uh, citizens shot down um, a proposal to build an affordable apartment complex for senior citizens. Uh, School districts in Chicago are largely divided among socioeconomic and racial lines so that wealthy neighborhoods have these really, really nice schools and, and poor communities of color have it grossly underfunded schools, um, and Washington state, uh, liberal bastion, Washington state has the nation's most regressive effective tax rates. So regressive meaning poor people pay a large percentage of their money to, to taxes and wealthy people pay a very small percentage. Um, So the citizens and leaders responsible for this, they probably defend Medicare for All on social media. They probably have been to one or more women's marches. They probably have the All Our Welcome signs in their front yards. They probably attended last year's demonstrations or donated to bail funds. And they probably now have a shelf full of anti-racist books. But when something comes up in their city or state to to maybe enact some things, they always say the same thing. I'm all for affordable housing. I'm all for equitable school funding. I'm all for progressive taxes, but I have concerns. I want progressive policy, I want this policy that seemingly aligns with my values, whatever I have declared those to be, but not in my backyard. So when I watched this video, I kind of saw it as a wake-up call, um, for our, potentially for our congregation, because the, the makeup of our congregation looks a lot like what I just described, kind of just on surface level. Um, and uh i wonder if the people in those places are really grateful for what they have because if we harken back to what i mentioned earlier that more will never be enough so i grew up fairly well off um you know my my dad was a doctor my mom's a physician's assistant and what I can kind of tell from my experience and the experiences I've had with other people, rich people tend to not know that they're rich. There's always something more that they could have. There's always someone else in their neighborhood or their family who has more than they do. And, you know, in kind of our part of us being human, and part of that kind of, I call it the, the juice of the forbidden fruit that runs through our veins is that our default is to constantly be focused on what is just above us and then forget where we've come from or what we have to offer others. And I think that gratitude, and that's why I brought in that passage about the first fruits gratitude is an opportunity for us to sit in the moment and say i have enough i know where i came from i'm i'm grateful for what i have and i know what i have now to offer others so in these precarious times I think that gratitude is one of the best things that we can be doing because it breaks us out of that cycle of more never being enough. And it allows us who are doing fairly well in life to look around at each other and say, you know what? I can have a better community in my backyard because I already have enough, and in fact, I have more to share.